Previously on Talking With Our Mouths Full, Michael and Nightingale embark on an endless food adventure showcasing Toronto's diversity through its finest cuisine and conversations with amazing people. Along the way, they stumbled onto other podcasts from around the globe and were then forced to continue the show remotely due to a pandemic. Now, Michael and Nightingale are cities apart. However, their quest isn't just going strong, it's picking up steam! Welcome to Season 2 of Talking With Our Mouths Full. Grab some food, turn up the volume on your digital listening contraption, and prepare for a delicious episode. Welcome back to another episode of Talking With Our Mouths Full. I'm Nightingale Nguyen. And I'm Michael Chan. And welcome to season two. Michael, I have not seen you since last season. Are you serious now? Come on, Nightingale. I... Are you starting that way? Are you seriously starting that way? You haven't welcome seen to season two, everybody. How long has season it been? Two. How long has our hiatus actually been, Nightingale? Season two, everybody. No, but seriously, uh, our hiatus was short, but it honestly felt like a really long time, like a really long time. It's been forever since uh, we've been with you all. We miss all of you, but uh, we love hearing from all of you on Instagram. It's been nice getting your messages and seeing your responses to Nightingale's stories. Thank you, Knight, for doing all those while I've been busy. And uh, so, yeah, and, and we're so happy to be back. It's, it feels good. It feels good to be behind a screen on a mic and seeing, uh, seeing your face, especially night. So how have you been? How's your hiatus been? Huh? What have you been My doing? My hiatus since? has been good. It's just been a lot of like figuring out our podcast because I care about it. Like, I know that some people do ask like where I am mostly on the podcast and it's mostly because I do handle a lot of the back end stuff in terms of like figuring out how to communicate with you guys better and also like how to make this more enjoyable for everybody and figuring out like where Michael and I can like have more fun with you all. So that's where I've been. A lot of our uh, listener interaction things on social media are from Nightingale. And when you go on social media and interact with us, it's, it's actually really just her. I sit there and I giggle and I smile and then I, you know, he I'm actually sure. doesn't realize sometimes that it's me and he's actually having fun. And he's like, yeah, have you seen this story? And I'm like, yeah, I made that. <laughs> I actually respond. I respond to our own stuff. It's weird. I don't know why I do that, but I do. Because it's, it's not, fun. But I also troll you, Knight. Like, I, totally I know you do. You really stupid answers just to see yeah. if you actually know it's me doing it. And then I message you. I actually you. do know it's you. I like totally message you on uh, Facebook Messenger just to be like, did you see? Did you see? Yeah. Uh, but anyways, uh, yeah, no, it, it's it's been fun. But uh, I'm going to have to put on my promo hat really quick because... Night and now back to these special messages. Do you remember Alexander Blackburn from episode 31? Yes, I love him. I'm mm-hmm. still waiting Alex- for that lovely package from him. Oh, yeah. Alex, Alex is fantastic, and if you guys have listened to that episode, you know that he is organizing a horror film festival, or a short film festival, called Hellbound Horror Festival. Well, during the hiatus, I have become their community content creator. <laughs> so I uh, work on 
helping the festival get in touch with with fans of horror in the community and just bringing horror lovers together. And uh, I have given Alex quite a few ideas and, and, and they're in the works right now. Things are on the way, including something coming very soon involving cosplay uh, that I'm really excited about. But uh, Hellbound Horror Festival, like I said, it's a short film festival that uh, I really do highly recommend all of you check out, maybe even submit something. So there are some rules to submit to the festival and it, uh, submissions are open right now. So films must be at least one minute and no longer than 10 minutes in total. And also films submitted to our original Isolation Film Festival. So uh, Alex actually did something called the Isolation Film Festival prior to this, and it's actually how I met him. So if you've submitted a film to that, unfortunately, it cannot be submitted to this. Uh, all submitted films must have been made between the 1st of January this year, and the submission deadline is October 1st. Now, if you go on hellboundhorrorfestival.com or our Instagram at at Hellbound Horror Festival, you will find all the submission guidelines and uh, procedures to submit your film. And I uh, personally, personally really am excited to see all of your works. I would also like to mention that we do have a Discord channel now. It just got created. Uh, it's where you can communicate with myself or Alex. And uh, if you go on our Instagram, you'll find out how to get onto our Discord channel from there. So once again, that's the Hellbound Horror Festival, please submit a film. And if you're not gonna, at least watch us. Hashtag harness the darkness. That's my promo, Knight. What do you think? Am I am I good at this? And back to our podcast. Thanks, Knight. Thanks for answering my question, troll. Um, but speaking of films, Knight, do you know who's in films? Do you yeah. know who else is in music stuff? Because they me. Sing. No, you can't sing, Knight. Do you know who dances? You. Well, I mean, I, I only dance really horribly with my daughter, and then she laughs at me. At two and a half, she's surprisingly mean. But no, 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 no. I'm talking about a triple threat performer. I'm talking about our guest today, Pearl Sun. Hey, Pearl. Hi. Hello. How are you guys? Good. How are you? <laughs> I'm great. I'm great, you know, all things considering. But yeah, I'm great. <laughs> it's a great intro. <laughs> Thank you very much. I all did three. my best. Even yeah, though no, I love gave that. me nothing to work with, you selfish performer, you. <laughs> I wanted to say something else, guys. <laughs> <laughs> I love but it. No, it's, we're so happy to have you on here with us today. Oh, yeah. um, so first things first, how has uh, how's life been since the pandemic started? <laughs> You know, it's, it's been rough. Like it's, it's been hard going into going into lockdown and just having to isolate at home and not, you know, it's a very different pace in my life, you know, and in all of our lives, because I'm sure we're so used to having to, you know, go everywhere and, you know, and having our, our days packed and then all of a sudden there was nothing, but I think it was probably like a well-needed break, I think for everybody. Mm. Like, Yeah. <laughs> I think everyone just like needed that kind of slow down time. So, you know, I appreciated it, but yeah, but now things are picking back up. So it's getting busy again. Oh, it is like, yeah. how are your additions? Cause uh, <laughs> you booked, I know that I won't say what, but you booked. 
Yeah. Um, so, you know, you know, it's like, I think it's just getting used to this new, this new way of auditioning that was really tricky. Um, so I'm sure for you guys, like a lot of our auditions now are over Zoom. Mm-hmm. And um, there's like a whole other way of doing it over Zoom, right? Like we're so used to being in a room with a camera and, you know, we know where our eye lines are because we've practiced it. But over Zoom, you're like, do I, do I look at the people who I'm talking to or do I, do I look like close to the camera on the, on the computer? Like, what do I do? And I, it's always just like, I think it's, it's been very different. Um, definitely going in like in-person auditions and callbacks have been really, really also very different environment. Just everyone having to social distance, like everyone, they won't call you in unless they absolutely need to. And it, and it's, it's, it's been an adjustment, I think mm-hmm. it's been an adjustment, but I think um, the great thing is there are lots of webinars out there and lots of oh, yeah. classes for everybody just on how to audition in, during zoom. I'm sure everyone during this time got a ring light or like some proper lighting equipment. I think they sold out on Amazon or something. I don't know. Oh my God. It took me forever <laughs> to get a ring light because I needed one so bad. And I was like using uh, my desk lamp and like, mm. I bought like some led bulbs of different like temperatures just to, yeah, it was bad at first. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, it's so hot on my face. How come? Yeah. Oh my yeah. God. Did you have, um, have you had any of those zoom editions where, you know, you set yourself up, everything's perfect. You have yourself framed, right. And then you get on there and you're like, so to slate, can, can you, uh, can you like move your setup so we can get a full body slate? Yeah. Yeah. I was like, uh. yeah, just like I did. This I had one, an audition the other day um, where I had to, I again had it set up and they sent me the scripts beforehand. So I knew I was going to be sitting down, had it all set up framed properly. And uh, then they told me what they wanted me to do. And they were like, you have to stand up and like walk into the frame and then sit down. And I kind of went, you're going to see my legs. Like <laughs> You're going to see like, this is not the proper setup for that. I'm like, can I just like slide on it? Like, do I have to get up? <laughs> I'm like, I swear I'm not being lazy. I just can't, I just can't, um, I just can't stand up because you won't see me. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, it, it, that's also the challenge and finding the proper space to do it too is, is challenging as well. I had, a, I had an addition with my wife uh and and you know she's not an actress she's getting to voice acting but she's she's not an actress and it was they made us completely rearrange everything during the audition and she's like what is going that was her first one too she's like what is going on yeah yeah there's uh, a lot of them too like a lot of sometimes some of the auditions will say oh um we're gonna be filming at your house or you're going to be doing it at your house. So make sure your backdrop or whatever, wherever you're doing your audition is where you're going to be filming. And then, so I booked one of those and um, it was a really cool experience, but I mean, a little sad, a little scary because you didn't get that to be on set and it was just kind of strange, but um, they had the like, production had it set up really well. But the weirdest thing was when you had, I was on that zoom call and they had like art department on the zoom call and then like assessing my background. Can you like, can you move that, that bookshelf? Does it move? <laughs> I was just like, it doesn't move. It's really heavy. How, where do you want me to move it? Like, you know, can you move that lamp? Can you move this? Can you like, and just things like that. And my, it was at my parents' house too. And they were, they were not happy. <laughs> they were like, why are you moving everything? I'm like, cause they told me to. <laughs> it's okay. Was, was that the one where they essentially had you do a self tape where you made like a short film? 
No, that was a different, that was a show. Oh, um, okay. That was a show. And like, it was the strangest thing because it was a sketch comedy show. And, yeah, it was a sketch comedy show. And instead of getting us to audition with scenes, they just gave us the entire sketch. Wow. So I kind of went, I don't, like, it was a very long self-tape. It took me a few days to do because it was essentially like filming a, filming a, a short film. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, it was, it was rough. Like it was, it was tough because you're having to do all these different scenes and like multiple people. I only had one reader. So my reader had to do multiple voices. God bless him. <laughs> no, I, I did the same thing, like a short film uh, for a commercial one. I can't really say what it is, but they needed me to show like multiple parts of my house. And yeah. my wife and I were like, oh my God you know with our with our kid or two and a half year old daughter it's it's like a mess right and we're like ah! we're like cleaning up it's a whirlwind and then we like tried to angle the camera so we're not showing certain messes that we you know created to to actually clean up an area just for them to see yeah and I, and then I, yeah i got a, i got a call back from that and i'm like uh oh <laughs> <laughs> and uh, that was that was awkward because I had to walk around in my camera. <laughs> oh, but you know what? At least you got to tidy. I guess like you know what it is like with kids. I know how that feels because I I nanny right in my part time job, mm-hmm. and um, I understand with children, young children, it's just like you just there's no time. <laughs> there's no time because you clean up and it just gets messy again. <laughs> like there's like absolutely no time when it comes to like having like young, young kids. So I feel you guys, like I feel you guys. <laughs> I know. <laughs> so, so continuing on the pandemic uh, route of things, what have, you, what have you been eating during the pandemic? Everything. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know what? Like I have just, like a lot of people, I got into baking, but at the same time, I am a terrible baker. I just don't, I just can't bake. I, and I know, realized that really quickly. Um, I burn everything that I try to bake. Um, so cooking though. Yeah, I do. I really do. So cooking is like my jam. Like I've been watching a lot of Gordon Ramsay. Um, one of the, he has a great recipe for smashed potatoes, not mashed potatoes. What is that? So yeah, it's like you boil the potatoes and then you kind of, instead of mashing them, you just smash them and it's olive oil, lemon juice, green onions, salt, pepper. And you just pour that in and you just, you just smash them roughly. You don't need to mash them. It is so good. Like it's, it goes on the side of everything. So that, um, and a lot of one pan recipes too, because you know, those are fast, right? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. But they're so quick. So a lot of one pan recipes. So like one pan pastas, uh, you know, one pan chicken. I don't eat chicken, but like my family does. So I like just make that the one pan chicken. Um, my parents make a lot of the food though at home. Like I cook when I can, but they don't really eat a lot of my stuff. So they make a lot of just traditional Chinese food. So, um, you know, congee's a real, congee's really big in our house. Mm-hmm. Congee's huge in our house. Um, I think all the leftovers just go into the kanji. Do you do that? I don't know. <laughs> Am I, I unfortunately don't know how to cook kanji. And oh. My mother, my mother never taught me. So. It's, it's kind of easy. I mean, it's just slow cooking rice, essentially. You can cook it in the rice cooker. You can. Or I like an instant pot. One. Yeah. Ooh, we have one of those. Yeah. You can do it in the instant pot. And um, it's just like, we just, all the leftovers, just throw it in there. So it's been a lot of, 
it's been a lot of experimenting. I just won't bake anymore. You know, baking has to be for me, like the easiest thing, like three ingredient baking, <laughs> you know, that that's my jam. <laughs> I don't Pillsbury, uh, pre-made stuff that I didn't just throw in the oven. That's my jam. Yeah. Oh, right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Cause I suck. Very <laughs> delicious though. Pillsbury's they are great. really good. Have yeah. you, uh, have you eaten out during the, the pandemic or like ordered stuff? Um, to, really? To deliver? You know what? Like I haven't gone out to eat and I just get, I'm just nervous. I yeah. don't know. Nervous. So I haven't gone out to eat, but we have ordered in. Um, there's a great sushi joint, uh, near my house, which is at Warden and Steel's. Um, and, uh, it's called Sakura Sushi and they're just like a mom and pop Japanese, you know, food, but they're Korean, they're a Korean couple. So they also offer Korean dishes as well, like daptai and everything. Mm-hmm. And, um, it's really, really good. <laughs> like I, so we've ordered, we order from there like at least once, at least once a week, you know, like the special Sunday kind of meal. <laughs> um, so like, cause sushi can't really go wrong with sushi. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. That's kind of, that's kind of like, that's really all we go, like we uh, order out because my parents don't like to eat other kind of food, I guess. They're very picky about their Asian food. <laughs> yeah. So because of that, we don't really, we don't really go on. And if we wanted to experiment with other cuisine, I just make it. <laughs> so yeah. Yeah. We've been, uh, or at least I've been, I don't know about you, Knight, but I've been ordering out just a little bit more as of late, just because during our hiatus, I got really busy. Mm. So I'm just like, I don't want to make anything. But I try to stick to, to mom and pop shops. I try to stick to the places that we featured. And uh, and actually today, I went to a place that uh, my wife and I actually just discovered the other day. Oh. It's, uh, yeah, Greek market chicken. Mm. And uh, Nightingale, will you tell our lovely listeners about this place? Yes, Greek Market Chicken, located at 60 King Road, Unit 1 and 3, Richmond Hill. It opened in November 2019, so less than a year ago, and this Greek place is taking over Richmond Hill by storm. This amazing place specializes in transporting you to Greece with their authentic flavors. According to their website, Greek Market Chicken was inspired by the Greek ingus symbol, meaning when there's a will, there's a way. So this symbol signifies a new beginning with strength, positive energy, and clear vision. Everything that Greek Market Chicken embodies and represents. And this is also a family-driven business, and they source their gyros and barbecue chicken from a local farm, and it's prepared daily with the freshest ingredients. Aside from the family feels that you get from the food, they have a marketplace that has pastries, baked goods, and lots of other like things that you need, like grocery stuff, making you feel like you're shopping in a Greek marketplace. So if you're ever in Richmond Hill or looking for great Greek food, check out Greek Market Chicken. You can find them online at greekmarket.ca and on Facebook at Greek Market Cafe and Instagram at Greek Market Chicken. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Knight. So today I got, oh, there's my plate for you two to see. Oh. I wish uh, listeners, you can go on our uh, Instagram and Facebook and Twitter to see all this, but uh, I got... A whole chicken, the whole chicken meal. It comes with two sides. So I got the upgrade to uh, Greek salad. Usually you would get a dill salad, but I upgraded to the Greek salad. They, uh, it also comes with round cut fries and they are delicious. I also had, uh, I got an order of their pita, which I already ate a bit before we started, but anyways, uh, with tzatziki sauce. So, mm. Yeah, Michael, I think the reason why you've been eating out so often is because you miss podcasting. 
<laughs> you probably be. right. I miss doing this. I miss doing this a lot. Well, one of the things that we do need to mention is that the they're actually split into two different shops. So you have the takeout chicken shop. They have a few seats outside in a patio, but there's no indoor seating. So you go there, you order, and you bring it home, or you sit outside in the uh, on the table, like at, not on the tables, at the tables. To, you could sit on the table if you wanted to. I'm sure my, my kid would love to sit on the tables. But they also have uh, kind of like a market, which was what you were mentioning from their website. And the market is a separate shop. So when you walk in, it looks like a, a, a mini, like a mini supermarket, a mini Pusateri's almost. It's very like, it's very classy. And uh, there's like two different, uh, there's one, one section where it's like a coffee shop. So there's like baked goods and coffee and other drinks. And then there's another one where there's like uh, cakes and stuff. And then behind all that is where the market is. And then have a cashier for that too. It's really cool. There are some indoor seats, not a lot. And everyone's uh, socially distanced, which is fantastic. And then they also have an outdoor patio for the second shop as well. So yeah, when you go there, just, just keep in mind, there's two shops. So if you're, you're looking for the chicken, you have to go to the chicken place. If you're looking for everything else, it's in the other place. Their coffee, by the way, is really good. I got that while I was... Uh, waiting for my meal to be finished <clears throat> excuse me to be finished so yeah their coffee is fantastic do you eat greek food pearl oh yeah oh yeah yeah, yeah. chicken souvlaki used like oh. used to be my deal <laughs> and there is like a a thing i've never tried was it the round 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 fries round cut fries round cut fries yeah what does that look like is that just like is it just like waffle fries like how is a round cut fries Essentially, they just take a potato, just cut it into into slices, and then just make them into fries. Mm-hmm. So they're bigger, like there's just flat round. They're dip. thicker red wedges, basically. Yeah. No wrong way to eat a potato. <laughs> no, no. But you know, the way they cook them, it's not crispy like fries. It's almost like home fries, but mm-hmm. less potatoes. Less oily, which is good because I don't like things when they're overly oily. Yeah. And uh, I don't know what spices they add to it, but it's just, it's delicious. Like everything they made, they make, sorry, is is fantastic. It's why I really wanted to feature it today. Cause I'm like, I just found this place and it's so good. And for a place as new as it is, I didn't know it was this new. And, and especially after, after, or during the pandemic, but after uh, the, the major lockdown, cause we're in phase three right now. Uh, I'm surprised to see just the sheer amount of people that are visiting so but but everyone's safe <laughs> everyone's <laughs> keeping their distance everyone is following the rules so that that's that's really nice that's yeah 100 percent of our um people on our instagram have had greek food mm. thank you very much listeners for expanding your palate with <laughs> greek awesome greek food so um well, Pearl, you yeah. mentioned that um your parents cook chinese food yeah Let's go back, back to your childhood. Where, where are you born? Where were you born? Um, I'm from Scarborough, um, you know the Scarbs. Um, so I was born in Scarborough, um, and I've lived in Scarborough pretty much all my life. Um, and I only moved downtown, I think, like a couple years ago. Um, but of course I'm back in Scarborough now, or I was back in Scarborough now because of my parents. But, um, yeah, I was born in Scarborough, born and raised. So 
Is that considered Toronto? The GTA, I guess. Right? Well, it's Mega Toronto, right? Or, well, yeah. No one calls it Mega Toronto anymore, but after amalgamation, it, it's Toronto. So I, I was yeah. uh, I was raised in Agent Court. Oh, yeah. We're kind of neighbors. We are. Right? Yeah. That's like really close by. Mm-hmm. <laughs> did so, you go to Agent Court Collegiate or did, was it? Was it high? So I, by the time I went to high school, I was already in Richmond Hill. Mm. Uh, although I did move back to, I, I moved to tr- downtown Toronto later, but I was in high school in Richmond Hill, but I went to Agent Court for summer school because I liked French so much and my school didn't have it anymore. At, mm-hmm. like, up, like upper grades that I just took it in the summer because I'm a nerd. <laughs> Are you fluent? Not anymore. Oh, you used to be that. Nobody, nobody. Oh, my girl. Oh, guam, one of me. Baguette. Yeah, no, like, so you were raised in, raised in, you're Chinese, right? I am. Well, I'm three quarters Chinese, I oh, guess. The other quarter. The other quarter is a mystery. It's a story. Um, yeah, it's a bit of a story that, you know, may have involved some, some things. Um, but I, but I, for all I know is that my other quarter is uh, us from Australia. But I don't know, like, what, like, you know, what part, what region. I don't know anything else about that. That's, that's really all I know. Is it, like, um, from there? Or is it, like, Australian from? I guess, like... Australian Caucasian would be my guess. Um, and it's a quarter of it. Um, so it's not like a very big thing. Um, it doesn't, it's not, it, it hasn't really come up. I mean, except that people, a lot of, I, I get the ethnically ambiguous question a lot. Like a lot of people asking me what ethnicity I am. Yeah. And, um, but that other than that though, like it hasn't particularly come up, I guess, because my parents were both raised in Hong Kong and they, you know, grew up in Hong Kong and, you know, they, they live their life by, you know, being Chinese. So it doesn't, like, I was raised Chinese. That's how I identify. I'm like, I, I was raised Chinese. So the other quarter doesn't really impact me that much other than how I look, really. So you speak Cantonese? Oh, yeah. Like, I speak, can, like, fluent Cantonese. And if I, if I, if I want to, I can, I can make Mandarin sound convincing. <laughs> um <laughs> Yeah. Um, and during the pandemic, I was learning Korean because I watched too many Korean dramas. But um, <laughs> um, yeah, no, Korean dramas are there. They're, they're something else. They've come a long way. They've come a really long way. I don't know if you guys watch them, but The King was my jam. I, I was all about The King. <laughs> I, I, I watched Kingdom, you know, the Kingdom is. Yeah. Kingdom's great. Kingdom's insane, um, but the king is not kingdom. Yeah, no, yes, I, I do know that. But it, you know, the the male lead is very, very, very good looking. So um, <laughs> he's yeah, he's very cute. Um, so I started learning some Korean. It's like easy to pick up, but yeah, fluent fluent in Cantonese. Um, and if need me, then I'd be like, okay, give me the Mandarin first, and I'll try to figure it out. Did your parents uh, predominantly speak Chinese with you at home growing up, or a mix? Um, yeah, mostly, mostly Cantonese, mostly Cantonese, um, if not all Cantonese. Um, my parents are, were fluent, but of course, like they have an accent, right? But they sent me to Chinese school, like every other Asian kid. Yeah, like every other Chinese kid, like I was sent to to Chinese school to learn Cantonese. Was Um, it in Uh, no, I was at the one, it was actually pretty close by, it was at, 
uh, I want to say Kennedy and uh, Passmore. I, it was like a church. And then like oh, the church on weekends, like had a Chinese school. <laughs> That's where I went. And they had a math school as well. So oh. right after Chinese school, I'd eat my lunch and then have math school. It was like a full day of school for me. Every single Saturday, it was so depressing. So depressing. Me and my brother both. We just, <laughs> we would just like do this. We hated our lives. We'd come home, we'd go to bed and it, oh, it was sucked. <laughs> Did you guys also have the uh, Longzhong Chinese poetry competitions? No, we didn't. That sounds, that sounds like fun though. I would have rather done that. We get calligraphy oh. stuff. Like we did calligraphy things. Like it was a lot of like very calligraphy heavy in my, my Chinese school, I think. But poetry sounds better. I don't know. Or like Chinese opera. I would have loved to do that. You know? Oh, I wish Why I but, Yeah, I wouldn't <laughs> do that either. But I've always found Chinese opera to be just so fascinating, right? With, with the, the really intense makeup and just the, the way they modify their voices. It's, it's mm -hmm. crazy. The insane thing too is the performers who do Chinese opera actually do it like their whole, like they don't, they retire, but they can do it well into their seventies, mm -hmm. you know, and the reason and what they, and like a 70 year old woman can play like an ingenue because in the makeup, they just like tape their faces up like crazy. So it like gets rid of all the wrinkles and then they put the white makeup on with the heavy, you know, pink contouring and it's um and and that's how they do it and they just do it for life like it's it's kind of crazy it's a really fascinating art form i find i'm, I'm lucky because um at my joe job i'm a realtor and there's a realtor in my company kitty her husband paul Lai. he is a chinese opera singer oh so I've, I've had the opportunity to see some of the the work that goes into it so it's mm -hmm. such an amazing art form it's intense eh mm -hmm. yeah mm -hmm. it's intense it's intense so um, you're raised very Chinese. Yeah. All, all of our Chinese traditions. What about food? What kind of stuff did your parents cook? Um, pretty much the same thing they cook now. It's a lot of a, like, a, like, again, I grew up on kanji and um, those rice. What is it? I don't know how to call it. We call it cheng fun in Chinese. Rice rolls. Rice rolls. Yeah, those. Um, where you like steam them with shrimp and then you put the... Um, and they had like a sauce they would make with like peanut butter and then there yes. was like ketchup and oyster sauce. Yeah. I love that. That was our Sunday food. Um, you know, curry was a, was a really big thing. Malaysian curry specifically. Um, but like a, a huge thing that, that wasn't even Chinese food was that my dad used to work at a church. Um, he was their accountant. And after school every day, he would pick me up after school and he would take me back to the church and I would go to the church and I would do homework basically. Mm -hmm. But on my PA days, they all remember our PA days. Unlike PA days and things like I didn't get to stay home and like watch TV. I had to go to the church and do homework. So um, we had to do lunch there. So my dad used to, there's a bakery really close to our church and it was owned by uh, a Jamaican couple. The very mom and pop shop. I'm pretty sure they're still there. Um, I think they were called like Haroon Bakery or something. Mm -hmm. um, okay. If I'm saying it wrong, I'm not sure if I'm saying it wrong, but so I, I was really young and they made the best beef patties I've ever, ever had. They were my first beef, beef patties. And um, every single PA day, I would look forward to going to work with my dad because I got beef patties. Um, but eventually, I guess the word got out that their beef patties are really good. And then they couldn't keep up with the demand. And then they stopped making them completely. Oh. And, I, and now I can never have a beef patty like that again. And I'm just like, where 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 is it like <laughs> where are the beef patties 
Yeah. So I, it's always like my, my, I've gone in there a couple times, you know, as an adult and been like, do you guys still make patties? And they're like, Oh yeah, you're that little kid who used to come over. And she's like, no, we stopped making them. So I've been searching for an equivalent, like an equivalent to it. I found one that was like similar, Mm -hmm. but not still not the same, but, but similar at least. Right. So, um, but yeah, it's unfortunate. (laughs) Did you ever, um, did you ever pick up how to cook the the things your parents cook? Like, do you cook it yourself? Um, yes, especially dumplings. Dumplings was a big part of my mom's, like my mom's side of the family growing up. Mm. So it was more of a social event for them. So all the sisters would get together, make dumplings, talk. And um, I was included in that. My family's, my mom's side is from Hong Kong. So when we went back to Hong Kong, that's what we did. That was something we look forward to. And then you would make the dumplings and then you would cook them and then you eat them. So when I went to university, um, I just had a like homesickness for dumplings Mm. for whatever reason. I did make them myself, like just by myself. It wasn't the same because again, the social aspect of it was such a big deal that like, if you're making it yourself, it just doesn't feel, it doesn't feel, it feels like something's missing, you know? Um, but so I, I started doing them like the frozen ones, which in in university, which was fine. It was quick and easy, you know, but, um, I still really, really missed it. It was, it was one of those things that I always look forward to, like, especially when I go back to Hong Kong with my family, I just, I always look forward to having that, 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 um, I always look forward to doing it because it means I get to catch up with my family. So I think that's the only thing would be dumplings was what I picked up. Do you still know how to make them now? Um, ish. I mean, I, I'm, I'm rusty. I'm rusty. I'm really rusty. I've always had trouble with the pleating, like the, the pleating of the dough. I don't know. Like, are you guys good at it? Like I'm, I'm really, are you see like I it's, it's a, it's like, it's practice, right? It's practice. I, I did a short recently with like one of my best friends and we were making dumplings and I was struggling with the pleating. And I'm just like, if you close up, if you close up on these dumplings, you've got to close up on, on his cause mine are, mine are really bad. <laughs> by the way, an amazing short film. That was oh, thank amazing. you. Thank you. Very, very NSFW by the way. Yes. You can, don't watch it with your kids, but yeah, thank you. It was uh, written by it my very spicy. good friend. Hmm? It was very spicy. It was very, very spicy. It was uh, written by our dear friend. I think Michael and Knight also know him. Uh, yes. Tony Fran, who's a, I went like, to high school with them. Did you really? <laughs> no, you uh, never told me that. I told <laughs> you a long time ago. I told you years ago when you met him. No, you didn't say you. You just said you knew him. No, I said I went to school with him. Did not. Oh, look at that. It's like a, this is a long friendship. He's brilliant, though. He's a oh. brilliant writer. And uh, just a brilliant writer and just a, a really fantastic activist. Like he's a, he's, he's just like, yeah, I'm always in awe. And he's so young. That's why I'm like, he's like, what, like 25 years old. I'm like, he's so young and he's, accompl- he's accomplishing so much. And I'm just like, you, you, you go. I'm like, you mm-hmm. do it. And I'm like, you're going to go so far. Just take, just, just, just take off running. You're good. You're good. And I, you know, yeah, he's a great guy. But yeah. Of, uh... Speaking of film and, and performing and all that, w- were you always a prefer, uh, performer growing up? Like, were you into film, music, dance, all that? Um, you know what? Um, n- I mean, my parents, my mom will tell you that I, I was. Like, I, I, like, when I was, ever since I've learned to speak, I would sing and uh, perform, right? But um, culturally, coming from a Chinese family, um, that wasn't really something that was encouraged. 
Um, so I think I really wanted to do ballet or Chinese dance and I was put into Taekwondo, you know, cause it was self-defense <clears throat> and, um, yeah. And, uh, throughout school, it just was really, really discouraged to perform and just to do any kind of performing arts. Um, I think one of my earliest memories was I was in grade four, I was in grade four and, uh, what was that? Was it YTV? Was that our like kids? Yeah, YTV. Yeah. yeah, YTV was casting kids for some show. I don't remember what it was. It was an open call. And they, I don't know if they did this. I don't know if you guys remember, but they used to do this. They would drop off flyers at the school and the teachers just hand them out. And uh, if you wanted to, you know, and that was just up to you. So I remember getting this flyer for the, for an open call for this TV show. And I was like, I was like determined. I'm like, this is it guys. Like I need to do this. I need to, I need to audition like grade four. I didn't even know what the word audition means. I was just like an audition. I need to go. And, um, my mom was in Hong Kong at the time because my grandma was very sick. And, um, I, and I, I asked my dad, my dad said no. And then I'm like, you have to let me go. And he goes, I'll call mom in Hong Kong and see if she will like, if she says yes, then fine, you can go. So he calls my mom and like, she's like, no, absolutely not. You know, she absolutely not. She can't go. And I was on the phone like, you have to let me, you have to let me. But in the end, I wasn't able to go. So like, it was my first like memory of like really, really wanting it so badly, you know? And then in, uh, and then I think in grade, I don't even remember grade like six or something. It was like, uh, it was like cold calling, like going in the yellow pages and cold calling agencies, like as a, as a kid in grade six asking for representation. And they're like, you need to, your parents need to be here, <laughs> you know? Um, so I, I would say so. I, I would say like in my, in my heart, I've always been a performer, but culturally I was never allowed, um, which is, and I, and I always respected that from my parents. Like, you know, I always respected what they wanted. And so that's how you know, that's, that just plays out in my life. Right. So what did you go to university for? I went to university for teaching, um, for, to be a teacher. I was the last year to do our con ed program, which was a, a bachelor of arts and a bachelor of education together. So I got two degrees at the same time, but it was the last year we could do that because they were churning out too many teachers. And mm-hmm. there were just too many teachers and too little jobs. So they had to cut the program short. So the first, my first year, they told us they were cutting the program, but we were allowed to finish it. Oh, wow. um, yeah. So I went through that just like, just because I, my parents really wanted me to graduate with degrees. So I did it, you know, and I was super lucky, you know, as soon coming out of a uh, university, I was able to get, I was able to jump right into teaching. Right. So I was like, the, the problem being was, when you do two degrees at once, when you graduate, you're just very young. I don't know if you would necessarily, I wouldn't necessarily know what I wanted to do at that time. Right. Um, Cause I believe I was 22 maybe when I graduated. So when you're 22 years old and then you're put into a classroom, it's like, you're still so young. It's still like, and it just was, a, it was just a lot to solidify my life into something. So I did two years of teaching in the TDSB and I decided I just wasn't able to do it. So during that time I did a lot of, I did acting classes like in, um, I did acting classes at uh, Armstrong 
acting studios <laughs> in their intro, their intro class. And um, just to see if I liked it. And so I, I really did. I really, really did. Like I would be teaching and I would like be studying my sides. <laughs> like while my kids were like working on something, they studying sides. Um, and I think that's when I like really, really knew that I would really have preferred to be there, like to be working and to be on set and to be auditioning rather than in a classroom. Um, yeah. And that's, that's kind of what made me leave teaching. What's it like a like a clean break meaning like it just you stopped and then jumped into performing and to acting or did you transition out of teaching to acting? Um it was a clean break like it had to be one or the other. There's no way people anyone can do both. So I'm sure as you know like there's no way anyone can really do like a 9 to 5 job and also act at the same time. You know a lot of us have side gigs and a lot of us have Joe jobs, right? Joe jobs that, you know, are a little more flexible. So if we book work, we can take time off. Right. But with kids, it's different. If I book work, I can't just say, peace, I'm gone. You know, like there's 30 kids depending on you and you got to book a supply teacher. And, you know, so it it was, it was a really tough decision. Um, And I just decided like, no, I I can't do it. I, I just, it was two years of teaching. I was, in a classroom, in a school that I didn't really, really like. I liked the kids. I just, I just wasn't, the classroom just wasn't my medium. And um, I just decided I needed to leave. I needed to pursue this. And so, yeah, that was a couple of years ago. So I left teaching and I've kind of jumped in and haven't really looked back since. So yeah, it had to be a clean break. There was, it was really hard to transition out of it. Where did the, uh, I guess the hula dancing and your singing come in? Well, um, singing was something I've always been, always loved. I've always loved to, uh, always loved to sing. Um, and that was something that, again, my parents didn't let me do. I had to take piano. So when I was able to, and I earned my own money, I started taking like, like actual singing classes. Mm-hmm. And um, hula was a fun story. Um, I was preparing for a role that I really, really, really wanted in a musical called South Pacific. And um, it was a role that I had just always, always wanted. Um, and it was a role of like an island girl. And, you know, I was always uncomfortable with dance. And, but I decided to take hula classes just to prepare for this role. Mm-hmm. Um, and not knowing anything about hula, just kind of looking up like Toronto hula schools. And like, you know, I found a couple and I, I picked one that I, I thought I liked and I joined it and I just kind of stayed because hula is just such an interesting art form. It's um, not like traditional dancing. Um, it's not specifically, te- it's not really technically, I don't want to say it's not technically difficult because we are basically like unbended, like our knees are bent the entire time and we all like, it's, it's really hard on our calves and you know, it's, it's rough. But that being said, it's not per se, like we're not doing, you know, uh, we're not doing box steps and we're not doing, you know, pirouettes and things, but it's um, culturally and just culturally and spiritually just really important to the Polynesian people. And that's something I did not know. And that they, they express themselves. It's almost like um, religion to them. That's why we do it on a Sunday. (laughs) And um, it's almost, it's, it's religious. And so that's why 
when I learned, when I started, I went into it and I started learning more about it. And I was, I, I couldn't just leave. After, I booked, I did get that role, which is great. I was so excited. But um, after I got the role, I'm like, I can't just leave Hula. Like, I just can't learn all this stuff and then not do it anymore. So that's, so I, so I stayed and I haven't, and again, haven't looked back because it's, um, I've kind of built a family with my halal and with all those wonderful people. Um, it really is a family, you know, with Hula. So it's really exciting. <laughs> so I noticed like you're talking about the cultural aspect, mm-hmm. of Hula, but speaking of culture, cause I, you've, I, as long as I've, I've known you, you've been very uh, passionate about things to do of culture things to do with say representation and uh i guess uh, i'm curious how did that come about with your with your performing career like like how did it develop this uh because yeah you you go out there and you you for example you you created the uh pen uh pan asian pandemic players during yeah, yeah. which you were both part of <laughs> thank you so much and you know to help you know bring together Asian performers to, 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 you know, build a community and read together and support each other and things like that. You, you're very passionate about this stuff. So I, I just, yeah. How did this come about? How did it develop? What are your feelings about it? Um, you know, it started because, well, I know when I, when I started acting, I, um, I knew there were Asian actors and of course, like growing up, you know, I was watching, watching films and always identifying with the, Asian characters um you know I identified with Mulan I identified with Jasmine even though I'm not Middle Eastern you know and I identified with all the all these characters of color and um when I started acting being a new actor I always took notice of the other um not the I don't want to say the other but I always took notice of other ethnicities in the room um and I don't know I just started noticing the same people always showing up um, it was always the same, like the same, like maybe it was because of my category. I guess we're always put into categories. Maybe it was because of my category, but I started noticing that and I just didn't know where to find other Asian actors. You know, I kind of, I knew they were, I know we were out there. I knew we were out there, but I just didn't know where to find them. And for a very, very, very long time, I was just kind of searching. I didn't know where to find them. And um, it kind of started with, uh, Oh, Willix. I don't know if you guys know, know Willix. You guys know Willix. Willix. Um, but like, um, I kind of started with Willix. So we did a read together and then I met Willix and uh, another uh, Asian performer um, in Toronto. And he added me into this group called Asians in the Six. Uh, I thought and it was the 60 Asians because I'm pretty sure six, you and six. I met each other the same day. Yes, we did. We did. And it was, and that was when, uh, and Willix added me into that group. And all of a sudden I was like opened up to all these other Asian performers in the city. I had no idea. And it just kind of grew from there. Right. And as I was like, you know, reading the conversations and also just meeting people, um, I just started realizing that there is a community out there and they are very supportive of each other. And I just started noticing them and I, and meeting them. And that's when I, like, and just talking to everyone, I just realized that's, that's right. Like, you know, we, we do need to support each other and this represent, our, like we aren't very underrepresented in our, in our industry. Um, so, and of course, you know, the age old story, you know, we go in for a role and the role is always, it's never a role that's, it's either any ethnicity or specifically Asian. 
Mm-hmm. You know, we never get to go out for a role that's specifically for Caucasian or specifically for a different ethnicity. Like it's always either any ethnicity or Asian. And um, it just got to me because I noticed we were always going out for working class. I was always going out for working class roles. I was always going out for things like the waitress or, you know, the name delivery or the hostess. And I just got really tired of it because I'm tired of it. Like, you know, and um, yeah. And I've, and I've been really quiet about it for a long time. And, um, and so that's why I kind of decided I met everybody and knew we were all supportive. So I took that leap of faith during COVID and was like, let's read stuff that we would never ever like that we would like not be seen for. Like we know we wouldn't be seen for these roles be- just because of like, you know, just because they usually want to see people who are Caucasian or actors who are Caucasian. So let's just go out and cast ourselves in these and read these together and just have a good time. And, you know, we'll just, we'll read it. We'll read it. And then we were also open to like a plethora of works just by Asian playwrights, <laughs> which, yeah. which was great. Hmm? Sorry. Just, oh, sorry. I think it just like froze for a second. <laughs> yeah, you, yeah, I think you froze on my end too. But anyways, you were saying uh, we were open to a plethora of works written by Asian. Yeah, by Asian playwrights. And I, I was really excited about that. And, you know, it just, I don't know if like, I'm so sorry if I'm talking too much, but no, like. No, no, not at all, please. We love it. Okay. Um, it was, there was like one particular, particular story that came to mind um, for me was um, I was producing a musical and uh, I was an assistant producer on this musical. And uh, yeah. And uh, and, like, I used to do that in my free time, like just for community shows and things like that, but it was, I learned a lot, but anyway, I was an assistant producer for this musical was Anna Green Gables and, you know, Anna Green Gables takes place in Canada, but you know, the um, you know, it's about a girl with red hair and freckles, right? Like, you know, it's, it's a, it's not, our story. It's a Canadian story, but it's not our story. But anyway, um, and Anne has a love interest. His name is Gilbert. And I remember at the callbacks, we had two Gilberts. Both of them were very good. One of them was an Asian actor who was a fantastic singer, great actor. And the other one was a Caucasian actor who was like, he was good too. Um, but the other actor was better and we all agreed. Um, but when it came down to the deliberation, I remember one person on the creative team specifically saying, well, Gilbert can't be Asian. And at the time, me being a bit quiet and kind of new, I didn't say anything about it. But my first question that popped in my head was, well, why not? Like, why can't Gilbert be Asian? It's a Canadian story. Mm-hmm. Canada's a, you know, it's a melting pot. Like, why, why can't he be Asian? What's the problem? Anyway, they didn't cast him. They ended up going with the other guy, um, you know, and it was a, it was a, it was an eye opener for me. It was an eye opener for me because it was, I, I realized then that this is not, it's a, it's a, it, it people do think this, right? This character can't be Asian because he's, you know, white, he's, he's Canadian. He can't be Asian. And it's like, well, no, he can. Um, we are changing, right? Like our industry is changing. And, I would love to be a part of that change and I would love to, you know, kind of push that change forward um, by seeing more representation on screen, especially by Asian actors. Um, yeah. You know, <laughs> well, it is interesting how our industry works, right? Like obviously there are some characters where you wouldn't want to change whatever their ethnicity is because it's not someone else's story. It's that person's story or that culture's story, but there are others. If you really think about it, where you're like 
why can't they be something else? A uh, good example I remember was uh, the Lord of the Rings musical that came to Toronto, where they had uh, Aragorn be, no, Boromir be black. And I was like, yeah, why not? There's nothing saying, like, it makes no sense that he's only white, right? Mm -hmm. so, Nick Fury was white in the comics. Yeah. Nick Fury. Uh, Nick Fury, the movie version, is based off of Ultimate Nick Fury, who's actually based off of Samuel L. Jackson. So by that token, really, they just got the proper actor to play. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the Ultimate Universe, for anyone who doesn't know, is like a reimagining of the Marvel Universe. And when they did that, they reimagined Nick as Black because, hey, why not? Because there's... there's <laughs> And that's actually a really good example. There's no reason why he can't be another ethnicity. Mm -hmm. There's nothing in Nick Fury's background that says he has to be white, right? So Absolutely. Yeah. And I and I just don't and I don't see I just don't see why, you know, again, like with a lot with a lot of these stories being written, you know, why why some of them can't be Asian as well, you know? It's just um I think we're, we're, I think we're headed in the right direction. I think we are headed in the right direction. We've got, you know, so, like Crazy Rich Asians was a really big step for us. But I will also argue that Joy Luck Club was the big, big step that is often overlooked um, for Asian representation because it did, it, for the, the source material is amazing. Yes. It's an amazing book and it's an amazing script and just the performances in the film were fantastic. I think it's a little, it's, it's underlooked, I think, because it was a little before its time. I don't think people were ready to see a full Asian cast on screen in the 90s. Um, you know, especially since we were kind of relegated to like the side characters or, you know, the, you know, the, the, the Kato's and the, you know, that's what we were. That's what we were. And it was even, I remember, uh, what was it? Oh, Rumble in the Bronx when it was dubbed and went into theaters. Um, dubbed, yeah, when it was dubbed in English and went to theaters, everybody went nuts. They were like, oh my gosh, like, what is this? And like when we were like, we've, we've been seeing this for our whole lives. Like, what's new? You know, um, but, you know, and those kind of solidified our stereotypes as, you know, Kung Fu and, you know, and fighting people who were like, you know, that's what we were. Um, but I think we, we're changing. We're definitely changing. Crazy Rich Asians helped, I think, to help put us into lead roles. There are lots of people out there who are doing some some good things, some really good things for us, um, which I like, no. um, which I'm happy to see anyway. <laughs> well, I was going to say, um, and it's not just, just Asian, it's, it's North American Asians, because mm -hmm. I, I often hear people argue things like uh, Crouching Tiger, for example. I'm like, that is not that is not representation. That is a, that's not even a North American movie, really. The cast is not from here. We didn't get work from it. It's nice to see us on screen, but there mm -hmm. is a huge difference. And it's where movies like Joy Luck Club uh, and Crazy Rich Asians and, and the stabs taken, such as Harold and Kumar, where they had the leads be Asian, um, where it's it's casting people from here that represent us people from here mm -hmm. i think it's very important for people to understand yeah absolutely um absolutely yeah and that's what that's why i think we're trying to a lot of us anyway um 
are trying to break into that. We're trying to, you know, establish ourselves not as side characters, not as the other, but as someone who is living in your, living in society and living in this community. And it's just everyone else. Um, really like the ethnicity of someone sh of, of an actor shouldn't really be taken into account unless it's something really poignant, right? Like, unless it's, again, there are certain, certain pieces that are written by certain writers and it's their story absolutely needs to be portrayed by an actor of the a proper ethnicity. But if it's, but other than that, I sometimes think, you know, there's, it shouldn't be something we think, we think uh, is the first thing that comes to mind, right? It's, it's yeah. like our ethnicity shouldn't be the first thing people see. So I, that's what I hope, that's what I'm trying to like to push towards. And that's why I started the PPP or the Pan-Asian pandemic players is because it's just about our work and it's about our passion and just about having fun. You know, that's what I want. I just want us to be able to read something of substance, you know? And honestly, it's really, it's really helped. Um, especially during, during the pandemic because it has allowed, you know, at least myself speaking for myself, uh, help me kind of stay on top of my acting but also with the type of roles that I've been able to read for uh in the reads that we've done you know it's not stuff I'm used to going out for it's not stuff I'm used to being booked for even and it's just good to be able to do that to to be you know be able to put in that kind of work so that as times change and the opportunities hopefully start getting bigger for all of us that not just myself but everyone in the group will be prepared for that right mm -hmm. so, oh for sure oh so, definitely so yeah what uh what have you what, what are you working on these days like uh, any any projects that you can talk about um well like yeah um i've just been like dabbling in some writing um you know i'm not a I'm, I, I don't really consider myself a writer. I did, I wrote a bit in high school, but, um, or I took creative writing classes in high school, but mm -hmm. uh, screenplays and things were really new to me and plays are really new to me, at least for writing them. Um, but I, I was on a webinar, like a, like a webinar recently where they said, if you know, if you want to see yourself represented on the screen or, you know, on the stage, you have to write your own stories. So I kind of took that to heart. Um, and I kind of took a plunge and I started developing a play. Um, and uh, my, my very good friend, Tony, is helping me with it because he is a writer. Um, but yeah, I started developing a play. Um, I don't really know where to put it or how to start with it. That's where I need the help. But, um, you know, it's kind of in the early stages right now. And uh, yeah, my, my hope is like to get it done and then maybe to do a read of it and then maybe see if I, I can get it into a fringe at some point. But again early stages <laughs> yeah um it's a it's an interesting play it's a it was a really cool story am i can i talk about it is that, is that yeah, okay? if you're comfortable please yes i'm comfortable with it All um right. it was uh it was a really you know those like articles that you find you know when you're scrolling through social media and sometimes like articles pop up and it's like did you like vintage news did you know and you're like oh my gosh and you look at them and one of them really caught my eye because those things always catch my eye. Um, one thing, one of them really caught my eye was uh, the story about this woman named uh, Ida Ida Wood, and she was a socialite in the Victorian era in the 1800s, and um, she just 
I don't know, she's like clawed her way up society. You know, she's really smart. And then the, the, the stock market crash happens, you know, the, uh, and she ends up secluding, she takes all of her money out and she secludes herself in an apartment in New York for like 24 years. And she doesn't come out at all. And people just, she's just, she's just forgotten until she's like 90 some years old. And, um, you know, and, and she died and people went into the apartment and found all of her riches and things just in this, in this, uh, hotel room, sorry, not apartment hotel room. And I was really, really, I don't know. I don't know if I just really, really connected with that story or I found it was a really interesting, it was just super interesting just about, about trying to, you know, want just to want to be someone so much and then to get there and then to be forgotten for like 24 years. Um, so I took that and I, I thought it would be really neat if we, if that was developed into something. Um, and again, don't know much about screenwriting, but I thought I could develop it to develop it into a play first, write it into a play and see what happens. Um, and I thought about writing it as it was, but then, you know, I, because again, I would love to see some representation in it. And I was thinking about Shanghai around that time. I was doing some reading about Shanghai. And uh, just during the same time that this story took place, Shanghai was going through this crazy economic revolution and, um, and they were just booming. Um, and so I thought it would be really interesting to set this in Shanghai and to, you know, make the characters Asian. Why not? you know, have this like a very similar story, but make them Asian and have it set during, during the economic revolution of Shanghai and during the opium trade. And so um, that's what I'm doing. <laughs> that's, that's essentially what it is. Um, trying to be as historically accurate as I could, but also, you know, trying, to, it's, it's very loosely based on this story. Um, but hopefully it'll be interesting. <laughs> Sounds amazing like that just the base story itself is fascinating. Like now I want to go read up about it, but oh, yeah. where you're setting it and where you're taking it. I, I personally, I would love to see where this goes. Hey, maybe when it's like way further along in development, we can have you back and talk more about it. Cause sure. that would be totally awesome. I'm definitely readers will be enlightened with the whole topic. Cause not everyone talks about the opium trade. Right. So mm -hmm. I think that it's something enlightening. Yeah, it is. I'll definitely like be contacting you two to read it though. <laughs> when, so when this is like, when it's done, I'll be like, I'm going to do like many, many reads of it. So I'm going to be contacting all of my, you know, my, uh, my Asian actor family to, you know, help me read and just to hear how it sounds. But yeah, that's kind of where it's at, but you're right. The opium, the opium trade is not talked about. It's a kind of a darker history in, in Chinese history. Um, and it was, you know, it, it, it's very powerful thing but it was used for it was it was used it was abused so um you know we are so that's why i thought it would be interesting it would be interesting to see how that plays out yeah. you know how it plays out <laughs> oh nice about puns and dad jokes so I have my seal of approval yes <laughs> Hearing to a different topic. So we have yeah. a question from Instagram for Pearl. Oh. What products do you use to keep your skin looking nice? Oh my gosh. That's so nice. <laughs> um, I use uh, Innisfree. <laughs> Innisfree is like a Korean skincare brand. I guess it's just like a cleanser. 
and um, a scrub. And a, I don't know, I got it from Walmart. So, <laughs> but it's a, it's a pretty good one. I think you can get it from the, I want to say like the, any Korean store. Yeah. And I sunscreen every day. I got to use that sunscreen, <laughs> but thank you. That's so nice. I had acne growing up. So this is like a great compliment. <laughs> and also like back to the topic about chicken. How do you like your chicken? <laughs> um, I, how do I like my chicken? I want to say fried, but I like also like barely, I don't eat fried chicken enough for me to say I, I like it. Like air fried. Is that the thing? <laughs> We're, we're in 2020 you know air fried um on a rotisserie is also like the rotisserie chickens are also pretty good like those are those are pretty good chickens you know the big costco rotisserie chickens like those oh, are, God, those, yes, are I love those. those aren't bad like those are those Surprisingly are good yeah bang for your buck so mm-hmm. you know i don't know air fried and rotisserie <laughs> one of our know. listeners said roasted and michael what did you say whatever my wife likes because Happy wife is happy life. Oh. <laughs> 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 All right. So um, if our listeners would like to, I guess, follow your journey and communicate with you on social media, Pearl, how can they find you? You can find me on Instagram at Pearl Sun Ho. Um, and I also have a Facebook page, Pearl Sun. And if you want to know more about me, you know, look at my stuff or, you know, just, just learn more about me and keep up with my current events. Um, you can always go to my website, www.pearlho.com. Awesome. All right. Thank you. Thank you so much, seriously, for being our first guest in season two. Uh, it was a lot of fun having you on here. And uh, also, once again, thank you so much for having us as part of the uh, Pan-Asian Pandemic Players. It's <laughs> been amazing. And I hope, we, I hope we continue. Like, we don't stop because the, you know, the, the pandemic is not the way it was before. You know, things are so, somewhat getting better. Mm-hmm. I hope we continue. Yeah, thank, thank you, you for, for sharing your opinions about Asian representation, your stories. And we hope to hear more about, like, stories that not a lot of people get to listen to. So thank you for bringing it to light, especially here in Canada, where we should be like sharing all the diversity and the wealth of like diversity that we have. Mm -hmm. Thank you guys so much for having me. And again, like, um, you know, it is, I really do hope like we we can continue the PPP and like add new, add new people in. We got some people from the States in recently, which is fantastic. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We got some actors reading from the U S and yeah, again, if, anyone wants to reach out and just talk about stuff and like, feel free to reach out to me on any of my platforms. I'm always happy to talk. I'm always happy to help, <laughs> you know, be an ear, you know? Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you very much. Okay. To bring this to a close Nightingale, how can people find you? Y'all can find me on Instagram at night.win. And how can people find you, Michael? I am on Instagram and Twitter as at Michael C.W. Chan. I also have a website, www.michaelchan.ca. And again, guys, remember, check out Hellbound Horror Festival at hellboundhorrorfestival.com. And also check out Greek Market Chicken, our featured food for this episode. Yes, the chicken of which I totally finished during this episode. I, I ate everything. I'm completely stuffed and going to be in a food coma after we're after we're done here so uh thank you so much for listening and as always stay safe and stay stay hungry. hungry
This has been Talking With Our Mouthsful with Michael Chan and Nightingale Nguyen. Music by bensound.com, crafts by Janine Cantrell, photography by E, and voiceovers by me, Jessica Chan. If you enjoy our adventures, please consider following or subscribing to us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Want to connect with us? Maybe even participate in our podcast? Look for us on Instagram and Twitter at at TWOMF Podcast. And as always, stay hungry.